0: James is a man on a mission to circumnavigate the globe by sailboat, solo. He's the owner of the good boat Tritea, who has left the shores of Los Angeles, across to Hawaii, down to the Pacific Islands of French Polynesia, and is now docked in the shores of New Zealand. He continues to make his way around the globe, with a pace that is no faster than walking. I ask him about what it takes to take on a mission to circle the globe solo, on the open seas, with the challenges and perils within. This is a talk with a solo sailor. Right, welcome everybody to the show. Today we have another amazing human being sat here with me. Uh, We'll be talking today to James, who is a man on a mission. I think James here is on a mission to see the entire world on his 30-foot boat called the good ship Tritea. Welcome to the show, James. It's been an honor.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, cool. So, um, let's start talking a little bit about um your your mission here, or if you can call it that. So, uh, he is the owner of the channel Sailing Tritea. You should check him out on YouTube, and he also has a, I think, a tracker and a blog. Uh, later on, we'll give him all the chances in the world to tell us where we can find him and to find his amazing work. So, what's this all about, and how long have you been doing it for now?
1: Um, <clears throat> basically, it's like. I just want to see as much of the world as possible. And I'm doing so by traveling at an incredibly slow pace on a sailboat, a centuries old form of travel. And um, Andy Shell of 59 North, he's described it best. I often quote him as saying, sailing is travel at a human pace. Mm. So I'm moving around the world at a pace just a bit quicker than one could walk. maybe the speed walkers in the malls, you know. Uh, so to this point, I left Los Angeles in August of 2021 for full-time cruising uh, for, to start my circumnavigation. And I have traveled like 8,636 nautical miles at the speed of about four to five miles an hour.
0: Okay. And that's taken you, so that's 2021. It's taken you almost just, just over just under three years or just under two years to do um, all those miles.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah. So it like, uh, what is this? 2022. So a year, about a year and a half mm. since I left for full time cruising. Mm. Um, I sailed from Los Angeles to Hawaii. Um, I spent the winter in Hawaii, did some repairs and then I sailed from Hawaii to French Polynesia, landing in the Tumoto Archipelago. Mm. Um, and then work my way through the South Pacific this season, just ahead of Cyclone season.
0: Right. And you already have definitely already have like a pre 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 planned route of how you might want to circumnavigate the whole world. So are you and en- are you planning to end up in L A just from, you know, the same place that you left off? Is that the plan?
1: Yeah. On- yeah, on this first circumnavigation, that's that's the plan, and I, I'm following the trade wind route, which is kind of the common route, um, and it's called west about. So you're basically just pointing west with the trade winds, which is what was used for centuries. You know, with all the you know uh, tall ships and square rig ships, um, where you have the the winds at your back, and it's very comfortable, easy sailing, and very reliable if you're sailing in the correct ocean at the correct time of year meaning not during hurricane season or cyclone season, then, mm-hmm. um, it's pretty, pretty easy going.
0: Mm. How many people are actually doing this right now? Like what you're doing, like solo circumnavigation via, via sailboat. I, I, I don't imagine there's a lot, but I, I, I know very little of this subject. I'm not going to pretend like I know anything at all.
1: Yes. Solo. I wouldn't think very many. I, I don't. I don't dare guess because then people will like rip me to shreds, but I can say there's a lot of people that are cruising full time on sailboats, like thousands of people mm. um, just here at Opua, foreign and I guess uh, Kiwi yachts that arrived just ahead of cyclone season to clear in. I think there were about 250 yachts cleared in. So, right. and most of us made our way through the South Pacific, many coming through the Panama Canal. Um, so I saw a lot of the same boats all season in the South Pacific. Um, but solo is a a far more rare thing. I would guess only maybe a couple of hundred, but Mm. there's, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. We haven't, are you in touch with anybody who's doing the same thing as you are at the moment?
1: Yeah. The, um, Holly Martin of, she has a YouTube channel as well. She is a, I think she's 28 years old now and she's circumnavigating solo on a 28 foot boat. So smaller than Tritea even. Mm. She left Maine, um, many years ago and, uh, was in French Polynesia all through COVID and everything. So she, yeah, she's, we ran into each other in Fiji and then we've hung out here and she's cruising around right now with her little sister here in New Zealand. Wow. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, but other than that, I've met a couple people, um, but just in passing this season in French Polynesia.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the boats that you use or that, you know, like that you use, you're using now and what people, other people are using. Like, what are the minimum requirements if you want to do something close to what you're doing now? What kind of boat do you have to own to be able to circumnavigate or cross an entire ocean?
1: Well, like it's kind of funny because so much of that comes down to the main thing is skill of the skipper <laughs> that is the most important thing because I always say because people often ask me what kind of boat do I need to do this and I'm like well you could go over Niagara Falls in a barrel um <laughs> it's not it's not advised but mm. it's possible you know mm. like the Contiki drifted from South America to the Tuamotu um back in the day and it was a bamboo raft so I think the main thing is like having a boat that is trustworthy that you know it's like keep the, the saying is you keep the water out and you keep the mast up so that's the important thing but there are boats like minimal production boats Catalina 27s are kind of cheaply made production boats that were made in mass and those and Catalina 30s like a, a number of those have circumnavigated and if you ask season sailor he would not say that's the blue it really depends on what you know you could go with the top of the line blue water boat um and or you could go with like a minimal cheap boat right so a lot of that is variable i have a, a 1965 albert 30 it has a full keel um and it's a solid fiberglass boat so that means that there's no core, so she's really strong. And um, so that, that's what I went for. And I went for a 30-foot boat because I knew, like, financially, it would always be a challenge. And the smaller the boat, the easier it is to keep up in the long run.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. So basically, you can. it's true. I mean, it, you, you put it in perspective really well there. Like, you could definitely go to anywhere on a raft but safely <laughs> yeah. and responsibly exactly. mm, maybe and comfortably. I, right so your boat is definitely plenty for the type of uh, navigation and journey that you're trying to undertake
1: mm-hmm. mm. yeah i believe 5 of the albert 30s have circumnavigated in the past
0: Wow okay and uh, what's the time frame for a for a journey like this like on average what are you what's your what's your it's, estimate to I mean, to complete it I,
1: I I mean, like for me, I think this first circumnavigation, I'll probably be back in L.A. in 2025 or 2026. What? But I've known I've met people who have done it in three years Uh because they only had that much time that they could take off of work. So they pushed pretty hard. Um, So it just depends. So much of it is like you're limited to the seasons. Right. Mm. So you can't just sell whenever you want. You have to be aware of like the seasons and that that is the big factor in, you know, and also how much do you want to see and how much do you want to like go through the misery of sailing around the world and not see. So, I mean, on one hand, I always say you can't see it all because there's I could have happily spent a year in French Polynesia, but I'm trying to get around the world. So I see as much as I can. And then I just understand that, like, there's no way to see everything.
0: Mm. Mm, right. Now you mentioned briefly, like it's a, it depends on how much people are willing to take off, uh, take time off work to do this. So this is your work now. This is how you're, mm-hmm. how, this is how you're funding everything now is just through your content, just, and just being self-sustainable, self-sustaining in your, in your boat.
1: Yeah. So YouTube is my, my full-time job. Um, and I've been fortunate enough that the channel has, has had success allowing me to, Mm. Um, On the flip side of that, I have a very simple life and I live under anchor 95% of the time. So my expenses are very minimal. So it's possible to have a channel and cover your expenses. Um, Mm. I have very minimal debt as well. The only debt I've accrued is like doing boat repairs in Hawaii. So I left LA with no debt. And that was kind of key. The boat was refit. I had no debt. And... I'm I'm okay living simply. So again it comes back to like what how comfortable or uncomfortable you are mm. with like the lifestyle, you know?
0: Mm. mm. Right, yeah. What does that term mean under anchor?
1: So I just live with the anchor down in a bay, you know, instead of in a marina. Okay. So like if you're staying in a marina, like here at Opua, um for me to stay on a slip, it was thirty-seven dollars Kiwi a night, or I think it was Kiwi a night. So so that's you know that's the difference, right? right. Um, is if you're paying that much versus living for free because you just have your anchor down in a bay somewhere.
0: Mm, I see, right? Yeah. Are you planning to to see more of New Zealand? I'm currently based here at the uh, Golden Bay, and uh, yeah, I regular I regularly go to Liger Bay um, just to go see the beaches. And um, are you going to do more traveling here around New Zealand, or are you just going to? Oh,
1: oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I plan. The big plan, if it works out, is I plan on circumnavigating both North and South Islands, visiting Stewart Island on the, fur- the furthest southern extremity and Fiordland. Um, but I'm having my engine rebuilt right now here in Opua, and that won't be done until January 13th. So then once I get that in, as long as I feel it's reliable, then I'm going to extensively explore the North Island and then see what the time frame is, because I'm leaving New Zealand uh, the first week of May to sail to Australia. As soon as cyclone season done. Okay. So I just kind of want the time because it's a pretty long distance to the South Island, but that's always been my goal is to get down to the South Island.
0: Hmm. All right. Cool. Well, that's in a, that's a future discussion again. You know, um, yeah, i would definitely would like to uh, see the Tritia in person. Yeah, yeah, that's an amazing sure, yeah. boat. Yeah. You it's know. an amazing boat. Yeah. Um, so you definitely have a pretty good relationship with the ocean. I think that's fair to say, <laughs> um, how are they yeah i was listening to your um your video last night about the things that you've learned during your first passage and you were sort of like explaining how it was at the atlantic and then crossing over to the pacific ocean um like i said i don't know a lot about the subject so i'm just going to ask you like do you how different are the how different is like the oceans Between each other, like how different is the Atlantic Ocean as compared to the Pacific Ocean? Are there any subtle differences, or what are the differences? Pretty dramatic. Yeah, the
1: pretty dramatic differences. Um, The Pacific Ocean is like a pacifist. (laughs) That's why it's called Pacific. It it means calm sea. Um, And I believe it was the Jellin that named it the Pacific. So it it is very very kind of you know mellow compared to the Atlantic, Um, and even more so the Indian ocean, but the Atlantic, one of the things to you know about the Atlantic, especially off the coast of like North America and South America is the Caribbean is very shallow. So that water heats up a lot. It gets mm-hmm. very warm. And that, that warm water is what breeds kind of extreme storms. That's one of the reasons the hurricanes are so violent in that part of the world. They, they form off of Africa. They make their way across the Atlantic. They hit this super warm water. And it just charges them up. So especially in Southern California, all the water comes from Alaska. So the water is very cold. So that's why there are never hurricanes mm. on, the, um, on the West Coast. So hurricanes will form down near Mexico. But once they hit the trade winds up kind of near to Hawaii, they just get wiped out if they head that way rather than towards inland Mexico. It all has to do with the temperature of the water. But yeah, the Pacific is way more mellow and especially... Sailing in the trade winds, you have squalls which are just kind of thunderstorms at sea, but they're very regular and they're very consistent in the strength of the wind and what to expect. So after you've been through a handful of them, you know how to handle them and they're they're nothing really to worry about.
0: Mm. Okay, wow. That that was um that's interesting. Is that that's a real thing. It's called the Pacific Ocean because if it's it's like a, a pacifist it's a very chill Yeah, it's like ocean. I think
1: Pacific I think it means like calm sea or something Mm. like that yeah if you look it up it's interesting Mm. and i'm like i said i think it was magellan that named it that
0: yeah it's interesting wow okay um now your first passage from los angeles to hawaii you were met with some challenges and um (laughs) (laughs) i think that was the first video that i found you in that was actually actually i think a year ago you know um when I found your work, but I wasn't doing any podcasts then. And then you popped up again in the feed and I'm like, why should, why don't I just, you know, try my luck and try to talk to this person. Uh, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that first passage that you did from Los Angeles to Hawaii. And I think midway, was it midway that your rudder basically broke down?
1: it, it, It was like almost, it was just over halfway, but I was a thousand miles from Hawaii. Um, and I lost all steering. Um, I believe that I hit a submerged sea container that cracked the all the bronze rods in the rudder, and then in short order after that, it failed. So I never heard the impact, but once I hauled out in Hawaii, it was big red, and I even saw when I dove on it when I got to Hawaii there were big red marks in the back of the rudder. So. And the red paint was paint of a container, the aceboats and stuff, to where they float just below the water. So if you think about a sea container being full of couches or foam, they're going to be pretty buoyant, mm-hmm. um, and so they float just under sight. Um, some race boats have hit them and sunk because race boats travel at high speeds. Yeah. But um, so I lost all steering, a thousand miles from Hawaii. I was adrift for three days in the middle of the ocean, trying to figure out. I tried to die. I dove on the boat twice in pretty large seas um, tethered to the boat, so tied off to the boat, and it was impossible in the sea state for me to get, I was trying to get under an entire rope around the rudder to bring it up to the cockpit so I could just manually steer it, and that proved to be completely impossible, so I have um, a device that turns my iPhone and iPad into a sat phone, and I was texting um, with friends and family on shore trying to figure out ways to steer the boat, and so I used what's called a drogue um, where it's like a drag device that's supposed to slow you down if you're going down steep waves. I happen to have one on board because I'm well, the boat's well outfitted for ocean sailing. Um, And it's the best way to describe it is it's like when you're paddling a canoe and you put your, your oar down flat and it turns the front of the boat one way or the other. Mm. So that's exactly what this thing did. It looks like a big sort of plastic traffic cone that slows the boat down, kind of like Mm. an emergency brake. So I rigged it up so I could move that from one side of the boat to the other, and it would steer the boat. And um, on the third day, I got it working, and I steered for 18 days, 1,000 miles with the drogue.
0: Oh my! And you've never done this before, prior.
1: I, I'd never even heard of the process. <laughs> like I have two really good friends who are captains that are on my shore team, yeah. and they were. And through that, I can't receive photos or videos or internet through that. I can only receive limited, simple text messages. So. My buddies were like, try this set up, try this. And a combination of the things that um, Captain David Stovall and Captain Noah Peffer that they sent me is what ended up working.
0: Okay. And you did that for 18 days just to get <laughs> yeah. to, to Hawaii. That's, I mean, I just, when everything's working, I think things are pretty challenging enough. I just can't imagine, you know, having to steer a boat with this thing that like drags. So you, you always keep one of those handy for sure now. Yeah. Cause you've, you've mm-hmm. seen that it works. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Another interesting thing that I, um, that I picked up from, uh, one of your videos yesterday was, I think the latest passage you did, which is to, from French Polynesia to, um, where'd you go after it? Where'd you go from there?
1: Uh, well, I sailed French Polynesia to American Samoa and then American Samoa to Fiji and then Fiji to New Zealand
0: okay so um that uh, i think that's that was like you were 32 days in sea and it just shocked me when you said like the longest sleep that you've ever had in those 32 days was two hours at a time
1: yeah yeah so that was la to hawaii because like my navigation my AIS, which alerts me to ships had gone down also during that passage and so yeah that was 32 days because of that broken rudder situation but I never slept for an, more than an hour in those 32 days. So my alarm would go off every hour. And so now that that works, I, I I do two hours sleeping at a time. And that's like, you're stoked. If you're sleeping two hours, you're like, awesome. But the one hour after 32 days was really difficult. Like, that, yeah,
0: I mean, I can imagine that would drive people crazy. And if you did that for like a whole month, you know.
1: And, and fatigue is the... Very dangerous thing, especially mm-hmm. if you're a solo sailor, because there's no one else to kind of like check you. You know, they're like, there's no one to, to point out, oh, like you need to pay attention to this. Mm. So once fatigue sets in, it's very dangerous. So you have to be very careful.
0: Mm, right. Yeah. So touching a little bit on that, what would be a typical routine? Because I can imagine it's a very heavily routine day if you're sailing solo, because you're solo. That's one. And um, it's a very unpredictable and, um, for an environment the ocean what would be a typical day for you like what's a, on just a good day for example how would you start your day and how would you end it
1: so usually it's like i get up i d- i call what i call my night watch is usually from like 8 p.m. to about 6 a.m. um but so i get up around 6 a.m. usually a little before that and um on the sh- on passages that are t- crazy long. Like if, it, if the passage is under 1100 nautical miles, 1100 or under, um, I make coffee every day, but on the much longer passages, I don't drink any caffeine so that I can sleep in the daytime, you know, but on these, uh, on the, once I got to South Pacific, it was easy. Cause they were all what I call short passages, which are a thousand miles is it's short. Once you've <laughs> done kind of 2,200 miles, um, yeah. but I get up, make coffee, have breakfast, and um, you know, you. I would download the weather for the day through the sat phone, see what the weather is going to look like. Uh, I would do that probably three times a day, just to keep an eye on on everything. Um, and then, you know, you just once I'm awake, I usually edit or write in the mornings. Uh, as you mentioned, I have a tracker blog where I would do a morning report every day. I would do my noon position where I would you know, which is an important thing for anyone at sea, you take down your latitude and longitude at noon so that, you know, within a 24 hour period where you were. Mm -hmm. Um, and so do my noon position. And then a lot of times I would do like a golden hour report or an evening thoughts or something. So I do generally about three posts a day on my blog. So in the morning, do my noon report. And then I would either write, edit video or read, um, throughout the day and, and that's mixed with like you're constantly kind of tending to the boat so as mm-hmm. long as everything's like happy you know then you just make sure you're on course you if the squall comes up you have to go up and shorten sail um which could take anywhere from five minutes to 45 minutes depending on how bad the weather gets um and then if the weather if the winds lighten up you have to go up and, and put up more sail so you know the the ship kind of needs tending to on a minimal basis 24 hours a day but when you're in the trade winds things are pretty consistent so it's less so
0: Mm. how consistent is consistent when you're in that in that corridor
1: pretty pretty impressive actually it's like especially if you're running with the seas um, and the winds because the winds and the trade winds kind of stay at around 15 to 20 knots all the time and they're always almost always from the same direction, unless a squall comes up and then the winds change dramatically. But usually a squall lasts half an hour. So a lot of times you won't even adjust the boat, you'll just let mm-hmm. her run off and then she'll come back. And for anyone who doesn't know about ocean sailing, there's a thing called a wind vane steering system, and that's your autopilot. And it's a mechanical device that requires no electricity. And there's like a, on mine, you'll see a big red paddle at the back of the boat that's flopping around you point the edge of that towards the predominant wind direction and with the boat on the course that you want to sail. And what, if the boat gets off of its course, that paddle gets blown over by the wind and it steers it back onto the course that you intend to be on. Mm. So this device does all of the steering and it requires no electricity, which is key on an ocean going boat.
0: Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, how long did it take for you to work on the tritea to get it ready for this type of, of journey? And uh, what, what are the basics that you had to like get down or for anybody out there who might be interested in doing what you're doing? What are the basics that you want to get down at least? um, If you want to take on one of these. Yeah.
1: As far as the boat goes, I spent four years refitting her paycheck to paycheck. So I worked full time and then Every day after work would refit. And basically in LA, I would do a bunch of projects and then I would take time off and go sailing. And there's a ton of islands around Los Angeles. So I visited over 27 different anchorages in Southern California before I left. So that was gaining a lot of like solo experience and also experience with other people. Mm. And um, so that's kind of the process I did as I would go adventure locally and then I would go back and fix more things as I had money. Um, but yeah, it took four years for the refit and, um, but I had a great deal of sailing experience before that from doing yacht deliveries and racing on boats and different stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, but as far as like boat goes, it's like, you need a boat that is trustworthy with good gear. And if you're doing ocean sailing, you for sure want to have a wind vane. It is crucial. They're, they're expensive, but they are priceless. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I found I got new sales when I was in Hawaii and that made one of the biggest differences ever because my old sails were baggy and I thought they were fine. But the speed and also the way the ship handles is dramatically different with new sales. So that was a big I tell people now I'm like, if you're refitting a boat, like find a budget to replace the sails because it's going to be like turning your old boat into a brand new boat. Mm. Um, so those are kind of key things is like, you have to have a wind vane because there's no way, I guess you could, but it's not smart to, to try to hand steer for 2000 miles. You know, it's like, first of all, solo, it's not possible. You can't sit there and hand steer for 32 days or 26 days or whatever it's going to take. So a means of self steering. And even if you can't afford the contemporary ones in the like, 30s 40s and 50s people were building out of wood and there's still books available to where you can build them out of wood because it's a pretty simple device mm. they won't necessarily be as durable and maybe not as as responsive as the factory made ones but there are different options based on your budget
0: mm. so wind vane and have some budget for the sales and just a trustworthy mm-hmm. uh boat mm-hmm. Cool. Pretty cool. Wow. I, I, I've never heard of that. I I, I thought I, I'd imagine that's what you did was basically just be on the, um, the steer. I just steer yeah. it the way to, I was like, wow, did you,
1: how did you do this? totally, yeah, totally <laughs> impossible. Yeah.
0: yeah, It's unsustainable. I can see now. Cause you're like, there's a million different things going on around you mm-hmm. that you have to keep track. Yeah. Okay. Um, what, what does your boat run on? Uh, part, I don't know. It runs on the wind to move. Uh, yep. do you have a, do you have batteries for it. Solar.
1: Yep. So I have, yeah. And I have lithium batteries, um, and solar. So my electronic setup is fantastic and very modern. Um, lithium is a game changer. It's they're super lightweight. They charge five times faster than regular batteries. And, um, with, and solar is very affordable now. Mm. So yeah, it keeps up and my boat's pretty simple. I don't have a massive, all the fancy electronics and stuff. I use an iPad for navigation with a GPS puck from Garmin, and um, you know a handful of other electronic devices. But I don't have a huge draw with electricity. My biggest draw is I converted my whole galley or kitchen setup to electric, so that I wouldn't have to have explosive gas on board. Mm. Most boats have propane, so mine is all electric: induction cooktop and then a convection oven. Mm. So that's the main reason for the lithium is so that I could have an electric galley.
0: Mm. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that. How would you plan your caloric intake for, um, for an entire month's travel? I'm, I'm sure you like, you definitely like over, over plan that, or like you double it or something like that just in case.
1: Yeah. I usually have enough food on board for more than 40 days at sea. And even when I found myself in that emergency situation where, I was 32 days at sea. I still had a ton of food on board once Mm. I arrived to Hawaii. Mm. More importantly than the food in that aspect is making sure you have enough water. Mm. That's, you know, a lot of boats will have a water maker. I don't have a water maker because they're very expensive. So for me, but for the food, it's like, you need to plan, um, kind of as high a protein stuff as you can that is also cheap. So, you know, you'll buy like, you could buy like, fresh fruits and stuff and i don't i don't eat red meat but i eat fish so but i don't have a very big freezer so if you buy that sort of stuff you have to eat it right away because it'll all go it goes bad pretty quick at sea yeah. even bread You have to eat bread in the fridge because it gets moldy like that at sea but and the other thing is like the motion of the ship can be so violent that it's very difficult to cook um even with my oven and range top are gimbled so they they move with the sea but sometimes you can only eat ramen because there's just no way mm. you can like manage to cook anything longer than three minutes. Yeah. Uh, usually it's like a lot of what I eat will be, I eat, um, like beans and rice quite a bit. I eat, um, Japanese curry and rice. Um, like I said, ramen, pasta, uh, you know, if you can manage to catch fish, you can have fresh fish, uh, also tinned fish, like Patagonia provisions sponsored, my most recent, my passage to French Polynesia. So they sent me a bunch of like tinned different stuff um, and pasta and stuff. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the route I go. And I live, I, I'm pretty simple. I kind of eat for utility. I'm not much of a foodie and I'm not very, mm. I wouldn't say I'm very good at cooking. So I kind of just eat to survive um, where other people might have like a, a more, you know, I can relate. Sort of. Yeah, I can relate.
0: I can relate to that. I could eat bolognese for like a whole week and no no issues. Yeah, exactly.
1: Totally. It's, it's
0: delicious. It it keeps well, you know, and uh yeah. I could just do that for like a whole week before I get tired of it. You know, if I even get tired of it. Yeah. I always do a big batch of that stuff lying around can't be bothered just cooking you know different exactly. meals. Yeah, cuz you have to do it like twice twice or three times a day even. Great, yeah. Um must be pretty lonely sometimes since in C. Um sorry, what's the longest you've been? It was at the 32-day voyage that you've been. 32 days, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um so you mentioned briefly in that clip that I saw of you um men- um uh, enumerating the the different things that you've learned during your first passage and to entertain yourself, all you do is just work on your work and um read a lot. Anything else that you Did you, 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 do you do a lot of swimming still?
1: Um, not in the ocean. I I did at the equator. Um, and, uh, because it was, you know, awesome. I was in the doldrums and I was dead calm for days. So I dove off and swam out away from the boat, untethered to the boat in 16,000 feet of water. So that was pretty amazing experience, you know, totally alone. I'm like, swim out. There's my boat. This is wild. So I did that for the experience. And, um, but other than that, when I'm yeah, when I'm like around French Polynesia or all through the South Pacific, I was swimming every single day. It's heaven, just mm. amazing.
0: Mm. I always thought the doldrums were like the uh, that's the intertropical convergence zone, right? Yep. It's mm-hmm. it. Please correct me. It's where the north the north and southern hemisphere meet. Is that this? It's at the equator, right? I always it, thought yeah, that was it, like a really it, turbulent it, pit.
1: Yeah. It moves seasonally. Um, so when I crossed the ITCZ, which is the doldrums, it was north of the equator. Um, okay. So, but it depends, it, but it's always near to the equator. Um, it's normally dead calm and then very violent uh, squalls. So it's like one or the other. So that's mm-hmm. always the trick, right? It's like, and you can, certain times a year, it's skinnier than other times a year. So I was only in the doldrums, I think for three days where, some boats have been stuck for weeks you know so and and it'll be a bummer because you'll just be literally it'll look like a like a mirror surface Mm. like the sea is glass reflective and then you'll have these really violent storms but there's not enough wind to get you out right so you'll have too much wind or zero wind so you'll Mm -hmm. just be bobbing about for days and days and days
0: oh okay i never knew that so it's basically either it's um it's super calm or um yeah, it's really yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to find a clip of a group of women uh, that I think they paddled. I think there's like eight of them, I think. And they paddled from somewhere crazy like Hawaii to some other island. I think it's Hawaii to Australia. I think that they did that. And uh, there was a clip of them doing it. And they were stuck in the doldrums for a lot of for a lot of days as well. It was super calm. I'll try to find a clip of this. Yeah, I think there's like four women, and they just took, took turns on a, on a large canoe that they've retrofitted to look like it was a boat that was fit for transatlantic or trans ocean travel. And they did that just off their backs.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> tougher than amazing. me.
0: That's pretty amazing. Yeah, they were pretty fit after the, the journey, <laughs> but they were broken. Yeah, yeah. I bet. yeah. cool. Okay. So you're going to be in town until May and then to Australia. And what happens after Australia?
1: So when I get to Australia, I'm just going to cruise up the East Coast inside the Great Barrier Reef, explore as much as I can, go through the Torres Straits and be to Darwin around September. Mm. And then I'll clear out of Darwin and sail to Indonesia. Um, And then I'll spend from like September, October of next year through January in Southeast Asia, and then leaving from Thailand.
0: Right. Phuket, I uh-huh. think it's like The South, yeah. yeah, it's the South. And then, so you definitely have this this route planned out. Wow. Are you looking forward to any destination so far? Is every destination something to look forward to?
1: Um, I think I was really, I've been, I was really excited to, to reach New Zealand. So I've been really, really looking forward to New Zealand. Um, and I'm really looking forward to Southeast Asia cause I've never been there mm-hmm. and they're supposed to be fantastic diving and I love the food. Um, so, and it just looks out of this world. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. And then after that, um, the next kind of one that I'm really stoked about, will be Madagascar. I plan on spending a few months in Madagascar.
0: Mm. What's it going to be like, you think in Madagascar, it's, it's, it's how it's big pretty- is Madagascar?
1: It's pretty big and it's the cruising scene there has has increased in recent years so mm. i'll be i'll be on the the inside channel near to the mozambique channel so there's a lot of good cruising spots along that route and you have to kind of watch the weather because the weather and the current can be kind of violent you know, due to the cape of storms and cape of good hope so it's something you really have to keep your eye on the weather but it looks like pretty wild which is what really interests me about seeing wild places.
0: Mm, the challenge of it all. Hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: So um um I'm it gets pretty dark definitely when you're in the middle of an ocean at night traveling solo, uh, going to different places in the world. Uh, I'm a big star fan, you know, but I'm a bit of a mm-hmm. space nut actually. Um How 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 dark is it how does it get like when you look at the sea uh the skyscape at night there
1: it it gets unbelievable like i often say the milky way looks like a sculpture because wow. it's so defined yeah. and so clear especially if you're in an area of calms like when i was sailing from fiji to new zealand there were i was in calms for several days and so that means that there were none of the, tra- the traditional puffy clouds from the trade winds. It was just mm-hmm. clear skies. So the, the stars went almost to the s- horizon of the sea. And wow. it was just crystal clear. And, and you, you're amazed at how many satellites you see. So many satellites. Um, but the stars, you know, and also it's, it's fun for me. I grew up in southeastern New Mexico. So I'm used to a lot of stars mm-hmm. in the sky and you know less light pollution. But it's a different sky here, right, than the constellations yeah. over the northern. Yeah, Coast. so that's that's a fun a fun thing. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's unreal. I've and that's seen, how the early Polynesians. Mm. That's how they they traveled. They settled the entire Pacific using the stars, birds, the stars birds, yeah. and the waves. Yeah, mm,
0: mm, yeah, yeah. I was pretty um I was pretty amazed here too because this is the clearest sky that I've seen thus far. Because I've always been near light pollution. And I was like, yeah. And here in New Zealand, there's only, I think, two um, notable, they're not constellations, they're nebula that you could see here. It's the large Magellanic and the small Magellanic cloud. You you can't miss them. You just look up and they just look like two clouds that never move. That's cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's only here in the southern hemisphere that you see those. And you're right. Like, it does look, it's a different sky here as compared to the northern hemisphere. It just gives you... Like perspective, like where you're at at the moment, yeah, so uh have you seen those Starlink satellites when they, they they're they're, uh, they're usually lined up in a line, uh, and that's what they look like, I've, and you see them here every, almost every other day
1: Oh, yeah, I haven't noticed them, but again, I've seen so many satellites in my ocean travels that um you kind of begin to just like not you know satellites are very you, they, they move so much faster than airplanes, so it's true. very very obvious what they Mm, are
0: yeah have you seen anything that you can't explain because you've you you don't not a lot of people do this for sure so um like just just even have you met like fish that you haven't seen before or some weird whale that you haven't seen any any crazy stories like that
1: no and also like a lot of people ask me if i've seen ufos and stuff Mm. i'm a firm believer that we're not the only petri dish in the universe amen brother (laughs) but the um i have not i grew up in like i said i grew up in new mexico so i saw weird stuff in the skies growing up in new mexico but i have yet to see anything very unusual at sea Mm. but that being said when you are doing massive ocean crossings on such a tight time frame i don't spend a lot of time laying in the cockpit just like stargazing when it's Mm. really calm and the seas aren't gnarly i'll lay out there and look at the stars but it's such a sort of like regimented life to where at 8pm, I need to start getting my rest because I have such limited rest. So that may have factors in where I'm not stargazing quite, you know, and also in the cockpit. If you're in really big winds and waves, it's not a pleasant place to be <laughs> to hang out, you know, mm. so that, that might play into what I have not seen.
0: Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I don't have a lot of time in your hand just to chill out because people People out there might think like, yo, he's just on a on a boat, he's chilling on a boat. I'm like, well, when I saw your clips, I'm like, whoa, this this looks hectic. Like this this yeah. is a pretty hectic life like he's halfway most of the time. You know, there's always something to be done, something that's been left, you know, in the back burner that needs to be done from yesterday and it's always just a constant, you know, movement, it's just constant, you know, things to do. All right, do you ever get bored of it though?
1: Uh, never. No. Sometimes when you're approaching landfall, especially with this passage to New Zealand, you'll get kind of antsy. You're like, I just want to get in. Cause Mm -hmm. like I said, you do travel at such a slow pace. Um, and I, my engine had started failing in Fiji and I got it running enough to get me outside the reefs, but then I had, and I don't run my engine when I'm on ocean passage anyway, even if there's no wind, I just wait. Like I find the romance of sea travel to be like that's just part of it Mm. um there's bigger boats that they'll motor for four days if there's not enough wind even if there's some wind but for me it's like that's part of the experience so Mm. i just i just sail but it is nice like my engine's being rebuilt right now it is good to have have an auxiliary engine when you're approaching landfall and and i would have ran it on that pass the passage to new zealand because i got stuck in some calms. And was a sitting duck for some massive storms that were coming and got hit to where I could have gotten out of harm's way had my motor been working. And then as it was, I sailed, you know, all the way into the Bay of Islands within a a mile of the quarantine dock here at Opua, with no engine in Mm. a very big storm. And um, so, yeah.
0: When was it that you docked here in New Zealand?
1: Like two weeks ago.
0: Oh, two weeks ago, yeah. I think there was some rain. Actually, yeah, actually, I think it was 45, a forty-five not of the
1: wind the day I came in. <laughs> wow, very big, big storm the morning I arrived.
0: Mm. mm. And this motor of yours—is it a diesel motor? Is it a uh, what? What yeah. does it run on? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So it's you just... diesel, yeah. What's mm-hmm. the com- what's the consumption like on a motor like that?
1: Like, um, how would you measure it? Just run... like a car. You no, you measure it by hour. So ah. it. My engine when I'm running it at twenty two hundred RPM, which is kind of like a motor, it's a happy cruising speed. Um, liters, but
0: sorry, sorry that you, you cut out a little bit there. How many liters?
1: Um, I'm not sure how many liters, but it, it consumes about half a gallon an hour.
0: Half so a I'm gallon sure an hour. Okay, it's a gallon, I think, is four liters. So that's two liters an hour of and how much speed does that get you?
1: Uh, usually it depends on the sea state, but like four to five knots. So Mm. about the same as sailing. That's why I very rarely use the engine unless I'm trying to navigate like islands, rocks or currents, especially if there's no wind, that's Mm. kind of the only time I use the engine is to get into places and get out of like getting out of anchorages and getting into anchorages.
0: Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Wow, man. Well, um, looks like you've got your work cut out for you. I'm really excited. Yeah. Um. Again, we'll give you a chance later to, to, to let people know where to find you. I'm definitely going to subscribe to your tracker and your Patreon for sure, because I want to see the end of this journey. I want to see how you, yeah, yeah I want to be there with you at the end. Really excited. You know, we, I, there's not a lot of people who you know who still go on these challenge and this isn't just like one of those like weight loss challenges that go on for like a month or two <laughs> <laughs> you've got i was surprised that you told me that oh i might be i'll be back in la by about
1: 2026 <laughs> what yeah, exactly. that's, well, that's the thing I always on, yeah. about, about too is like i'd mentioned previously i'm like you imagine one of your buddies is like hey you want to drive eight thousand miles at four miles an hour you're like no that sounds terrible <laughs> yeah (laughs) that is
0: not much to see as well you know the um the biggest desert in the in the world isn't the sahara it's actually the oceans because it's 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 you know it's um featureless and you can't drink a drop of the water Uh, yeah (laughs) yeah but yeah you've decided yeah this is going to be um this is going to be your how how long did you plan to do this thing when when Um, was the inception of it yeah
1: so I got turned on to sailing in 2014 and as soon as I got turned on to sailing I was like I got to make this my life and then on my 40th birthday I was like I'm going to circumnavigate I'm going to leave 5 years from now to start a circumnavigation and I'm 47 now my I was delayed 1 year leaving due to the pandemic but Um, And at the time I had no money and I had no boat. (laughs) So it was an uphill climb. Um, But that's, you know, that was when I really made the decision. I was like, I'm going to make this happen.
0: Mm. Interesting how, you know, people should start making their goals. I think not, not, not exactly the way you do them, but like, I'm, I'm 31 now. So um, when I turned 30, after all the running around, I did. When I was in my 20s, I was like one of the bigger biggest takeaways that I've had was like, I have to start setting goals for myself differently now, because it used to be just like, oh, I'll, I'll have this done in like six months. Or I'll have it done in, 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 in three months or something, because people overestimate what they can do in a year, but they underestimate what they can do with 10 years you know because people think they can get so much done in a year and you're like that's just a year like nothing happens in a year you know it's depending on how you know how hard you go at it and whatever your goal whatever goal you're trying to to achieve but it's uh, that long-term vision and you know having that discipline to just stick to it and then one day it just happens for you is that is the is that how you how you set goals now it's like not, not exactly in a rush, but not exactly relaxing at the same time and giving yourself, you know, the, the right amount of time to reach it, especially if you're, you know, planning to circumnavigate the entire world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's like, I mean, with the circumnavigation. In one sense, it's a simple goal. <laughs> you know what I'm saying as far as like, OK, I'm going to go from this point to this point, mm. you know, and there's only so many ways you can do that. Right. So. In some ways, it's very simple. Obviously, the execution is more complicated. But um, with the fact that now I'm a content creator full-time, that removes the biggest hurdle that most people have, is I'm able to make an income as I slowly travel around the world. Um, And then my plan is once I get back to LA, finish circumnavigation, I'm going to spend a year in LA writing the book about the circumnavigation and refitting the boat. And then I plan on leaving to do an east about but kind of just wandering open-ended with no sort of like end goal. Mm. So I'll just leave to go sailing and just kind of crawl around the world and see a bunch of places I didn't see the first time. Mm. Uh, So yeah, for Mm. me, it's like, I kind of have, you know, easily the next like 10 years or more planned out with no, like hopefully I'll never repatriate to the US. I just kind of want to wander around and see beautiful things and interesting places.
0: Mm. it's interesting like actually having the chance to talk to somebody you know like yourself because you re- re- read about people like this all the time you see them on your feet all the time but to, to actually sit down here and to talk to somebody and hear it from them it's pretty amazing it's pretty amazing yeah Um, are you ever gonna are you planning on seeing the polls at some point is there anything interesting to see there apart from a lot of ice or less ice I now? would
1: love to but I know enough about sailing and extreme places to know that my boat is not the boat to see those places mm. in. There are people that have done it, but I don't, I think it's irresponsible. Mm. So, um, I would love to, if, if I ever get the opportunity to go on a boat that is outfitted for that, I would jump at jump at the opportunity. Yeah. Um, the sea captain I learned to sail under Celia bull. She has a high latitudes aluminum boat based in Scotland and we have been talking about doing the Northwest Passage. So we've started the rough sketch of doing that sort of campaign, but it's a lot of paperwork and you have to get permits and approval and all the correct safety gear. You, you got to make sure that you're self-sufficient and mm-hmm. you're not going to call for rescue. That's the main thing is mm-hmm. like, you got to kind of rescue yourself in those situations. You can't mm-hmm. expect somebody else. To, they're so remote. So I would love to do Arctic and Antarctic sailing, but again, it comes down to what's realistic.
0: Mm. The Northwest Passage, that was the one that Shackleton, was it him who tried to find that passage?
1: Franklin Franklin is the one that was lost in the North looking for uh-huh. the Northwest Passage. But I believe Shackleton also looked for, I mean, pretty much every yeah. top English commander was sent up trying to find it. True, They looked, you know, kind of every country looked for a long time for that shortcut and you know, due to the ice pack back in those days. And also mm. the other thing they found eventually by the time the first, I think it was a Norwegian was the first one that went through, he went through in a very small boat. So that turned out to be one of the biggest obstacles is they were trying to take boats that were too big. Oh, and yeah, the reality stuck. Yeah. And I have friends who are serious ocean sailors who have done it. And they were like, there's no sailing up there. Cause there's no wind. So, you know, they, you know, everyone I know that's done it, they motored through the entire across mm all above canada because mm. there's just no wind. they're like there's they're like we had you know four days of sailing in three months so if you think about franklin and them they only had the wind
0: yeah so, wow
1: you know they would get pinned in and then they're doomed
0: mm. so you're telling me that time at that time they didn't realize it that at the poles there wouldn't be any wind well, would the, would the,
1: i mean maybe they knew that but that would they didn't have any other option right it's like there was no other form of propulsion well they could have so if stuff. they if they i think if they had
0: known it they would have like i don't know made like a more efficient rope system paddle thing right. to help them yeah. you know get around hmm. yeah
1: i think their plan was to try to sail as far as they could over winter in the ice and keep going but the problem was the boats got crushed by the ice true and sunk. You know?
0: true true yeah well that'd be miserable that'd be miserable uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right. Well, um I've uh there's a f- we we have a few more minutes here. So I'd like to um uh ask you this one last question, you know, being from I mean, just doing all these things that you've done so far, thus far, exposing yourself to to dangers and to challenges and to obstacles doing what you're doing now. Do you fear death or dying? Which one do you fear?
1: Oh, not at all. Like and for many, many years of my life, I have, I have a very healthy relationship with death. Um, I'm an existentialist and what Christians would call an atheist. I don't believe in a higher power. And I believe that the value of our life is what we place on it. Um, and I believe I've lived an unbelievable <laughs> life and have seen incredible things and had just the most magical experiences. So if I died today, I would be totally fine. It's like, I, who, who could ask for more? Um, obviously I'd like to see more and I don't put myself in harm's way if I can get away with it. Um, I try to be responsible and the older I get, it's much easier to sort of see a clear path of safety where in my twenties I did stuff that I don't know how to survived. but yeah, so I am, I am totally at peace with dying at any point and, um, I'll be, you know, There'll be a smile on my face when it happens
0: that's interesting yeah i w- I would imagine if I did what you did because i'm i'm I have similar beliefs to you, but I like if I would be exposed in the great big ocean you know for for long stretches at a time, you know and feeling desperate at some point, I would probably start searching for like if you're there, help, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but well,
1: that's what they always say like right? people are always like you know there's you know, there's no atheist in a foxhole. You know, at war or something like. That. But mm. I know firsthand being stranded alone in the middle of the ocean, where all looked hopeless, and um yeah, I never once reached out to any kind of, you know, higher being. Mm. <laughs> uh, so, so
0: just, yeah. like, I'm, you just? I'm no, yeah. a firm believer
1: in existentialism, and mm. especially the Sartre sort of mode of thought that, you know, the our lives meaning is the value of which we place on it. Mm. Um, which I think is important and beautiful.
0: Mm. All right. With that note then, um, where can we find James and the good ship tritea If it's not on YouTube, which is called, which is the channel called Sailing the tritea Where else can we find you and where can we support your work?
1: Yeah, so YouTube is youtube.com slash sailor James. But also, yeah, if you search Sailing Tritia, you'll find it. Um I have a very active Instagram account when I'm not at sea, um, which if you search sailor James on Instagram, you'll find me there as well. Um, and then Patreon. Um, I don't, I don't remember the name. <laughs> I think it's sailor James on Patreon, uh, but all of that stuff can be found through either one of those two links. Um, also svtritea.com. And um, I would imagine you'll put the links in the show notes or something. Yeah, like that. sure. But yeah. Well, it's we're, yeah, fairly easy. It's not an easy word to spell off the, unless you've seen it. So yeah, I've but yeah, the main, uh-huh. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the main thing like YouTube and Instagram, those are the two, you know, and YouTube, all YouTube videos are pretty time delayed, which is common with all episodic YouTube channels to where, you know, they are several months behind real time. Um, and, but the Instagram account is real time. I post stuff constantly.
0: Mm. Awesome. Okay. So um, yeah, we'll uh definitely have those links uh, in the show notes if you want to support James. And if you want to see him through this uh, journey of him, of his, Um, I just wish you all the luck, man. And you know, it's, it's so opportune that you're here in New Zealand at the moment. And um, if you do make it here, and you will make it here, pretty sure you will make it here on in the South Island. Yeah, do give us a call. I'll cook it out. Cook yeah. a stakes for you we will link up sure. definitely yeah. yeah I just want to touch the tritea I'm like ah oh, the tritea yeah for sure for sure yeah I looked it up if for for, for you guys who are- intru- uh um um curious tritea it's it's i think it's the um it's uh the daughter of Mars and um it's the
1: da- the daughter of Triton and yeah. uh the granddaughter of Poseidon oh, okay. and she was loved by the war god Ares
0: oh there it is yeah um,
1: so for me, it was like, uh, basically, I'm just trying to bribe Poseidon into not sinking my boat. I'm like, it's your granddaughter. So that <laughs> that's
0: interesting. Yeah. yeah, that was a cool little uh, ceremony it did as well when you cross the equator at zero latitude. It's latitude, right? Yeah. And um, you had to, you did a little toast to the god, the sea god Poseidon. Yeah, the,
1: shell, the shellback ceremony.
0: Oh, is that what it's called? The shellback ceremony. Yeah. Okay. Please don't sink the boat. It's your granddaughter. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't if I were, if I were him. Yeah. All right. I've taken enough of your time. I'm pretty sure you're a pretty busy sailor and a man. Thank you so much for hopping on the show, James do check out his channel and I'll have this, uh, uh his other links linked to the show notes And until then. Good luck and happy sailing. See you guys later.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: You're welcome.